T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, February 16th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer, and we've put together a fantastic Friday fabulosity to finish off the week. There's some alliteration for you. And if you don't believe me about all those Fs, giving us an A in total, well, coming up, we'll speak with both the VFW and National Park Service together about some questions that have arisen on what you can and can't do with a camera at places like the Vietnam Wall, the World War II Memorial, or any of the other amazing monuments on the National Mall that so many Americans and so many veterans come to visit during their life. The Park Service says they also have an update for us on the cremains issue. That's the one we talked about a few weeks ago where uh, Vietnam veterans and their families are leaving the remains of Vietnam vets at the Vietnam Wall. So. This is a a big issue, a continuing one, and one that we're going to get the answers on today directly from the source, the NPS. And later, we'll be joined by a group of student veterans from George Washington University. These veterans rank among the leadership of the GW Vets group. They're going to tell us all about what that group is doing to help the veteran community at GW and some of the challenges student veterans face and how they're working to address them, not just on the local level, but on the national level as well. It's going to be a fun full Friday filibuster coming your way. And it all starts now as we welcome Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm pretty good. Do you know why? Why is that? No, 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 no. It's because it's Friday. I mean, I am looking forward to the weekend, weekend. It's Friday, Friday. I'll turn off my microphone so that you hear it. You put those headphones back on right now, Jacob TQ Hughes. That's your middle initials, right? TQ? You partying, partying this weekend? I hate you. Are you going to sit in the front seat or the back seat when you're, when you're riding? I really hate you. This weekend. Um, that's okay. I'm fine with that. I got enough friends. So I don't really need any more. But we've got some of our friends of the show coming on today in the VFW and GW Vets. Uh, I've not met the two members of GW Vets that are coming on, but they're coming along with someone that we have met, H.W. Floyd. You remember him, came in yeah. to talk to us about the Vettis. He's a former Marine. Uh, he was a Marine Corps combatives instructor, former professional mixed martial artist, and now student uh, pursuing numerous degrees at George Washington University. They're going to talk to us about some really interesting stuff. And as I understand it, they may have some sort of big announcement to make today. So if they do, you know, that's going to be a big one. And we'll get that one out there as well. A lot of great groups out there. And um, so as as we've mentioned and joked about on the show, I was named one of the Hill Vets 100. And my alma mater got word of that. I think I posted it on my Facebook page, the announcement, and someone from the school said like, oh, that's pretty cool, who I'm Facebook friends with. They reached out to me to do a little profile um a little profile on that and asked me questions about my time at Hofstra University, where I went. And I thought back to it, and they asked me about my experience as a veteran. And... My time there was great, but my experience as a veteran was mostly limited to my interaction with the professors. 
I didn't live on campus. I was a commuter student. I lived about 25 minutes away from the campus. Um, also, I was in my mid-30s and had zero interest in living in a dorm when I had right. a wife and child. So, you know, it doesn't work that way, obviously. Uh, do they let babies live in dorms? I mean, if I could have my family live with me, it might have been cheaper. Than, uh, mm, I yeah. highly doubt it. <laughs> uh, my my interaction, though, there were a couple veterans that I knew. There's my buddy, uh, John, who was from the same VFW post as me. There was, um, oh, God, I forget his name, but a guy from uh, Ranger Battalion who was there who I just noticed his hat had a had a, a design on it that I was like, hey, I recognize that. My cousin has that tattooed on his arm. He was like, oh, Really? It's like, yeah, he was 2nd Battalion, 75th Range Regiment. He's like, oh, I was 3rd Battalion. So that guy, uh, other than that, you know, those were the two main veterans that, that I came into contact with there. There is a veteran population there, but it's not as uh, not as boisterous or organized as it is at some places. And the veteran community is not as big there as it would be someplace like George Washington University. There are a lot of veterans at GWU, and we're going to talk to uh, the gentleman who I understand is more than likely to become their president in the coming weeks, as well as their director of external communications, Uh, and we're going to talk about everything that they're doing. Should be a lot of fun. And then the VFW and National Park Service discussion. We've already had the discussion about the cremains. Jake wrote a great article on it that you can find at ConnectingVets.com. There is a new issue in regards to filming on the National Mall. At these amazing monuments that millions and millions of Americans and non-Americans come to every year. And we're going to get the answers to those questions directly today. What you can and can't do. Can you film with your own personal camera? What if that personal camera is a really fancy one that you went out and spent a lot of money for because you wanted those home videos to look really good? You wanted your Instagram page to be popping, yo. Is that how the kids say it, Jake? I have no idea. Neither do I, and I don't really care. Popping, yo. That's how I'm saying it today. Word, word, dog. <laughs> We're old, and uh, and there was some conversation in the other day where uh, uh, one of the younger members of our staff at Connecting Vets was laughing about, yeah, some people think that you still say whatever the word was. Like, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was some slang word. Your memory's going. That's hey, how yeah, old you yeah, are. But my memory is good enough that I'm like, I, I said, I remember, and I knew Jonathan Copanger and Phil Briggs remembered when that was the new word. Like, that was the new thing, and, and now it's some old joke. So that happens when you get old. A lot of things yeah. happen. You know, it's funny. I did a little bit of research because I'll be writing a story on the on the uh, issue of filming at national parks. Hmm. And I did a little, and they found out like at the at the Lincoln Memorial, you can film up to a certain point, but once you get past the the arches, right. like the the columns, you can't film anymore. Hmm. It's very odd, the rules they have. Yeah, and we'll find out what the reasons for those are. I mean, again, we're going to have Mike from the National Park Service, specifically the National Mall Division. He's the chief of communications for them. Um, So we're going to talk all about that. Of course, the big story in the veteran community, uh, in most people's mind, is the story about Secretary Shulkin and the scandal around his travel and Wimbledon tickets. Not looking good for him. Well, here's what he's saying now. I mean, we've got the story up on ConnectingVets.com that he won't resign. Claims his top aide was hacked. I've seen other people posting that. When I put up uh, our story on Facebook about uh, AmVets uh, stating yesterday that he had basically flat out lied to him at a breakfast uh, a month or two earlier and lied to all the VSOs saying there was nothing to these stories. I didn't. Uh, I paid for the flight and and all that stuff. And then he told the Washington Post that the tickets uh, he had paid for them. Well, the Inspector General's report has come out and says essentially that uh, no, that's not true. That he did not pay for the flight. Uh, now he has. It's a little bit late for that, but still. Uh, and also that the Wimbledon tickets were a gift from a friend. 
Um, here's the thing. When you're traveling on official business, you can't take a gift worth over $25. Those are the rules. So he did. So then we get this hacking story, essentially saying that his top aide, uh, his scheduler that we've talked about, Vivica Wright Simpson, uh, there are claims in the investigator general report that she had altered an email to claim Shulkin was going to be honored at a special event during the trip, which would have necessitated his wife's personal travel to be at the event. Well, the event didn't exist. Now, the email, according to Shulkin and his staff, and this was first reported by Politico this week, uh, says that the email uh, system may have been hacked, and Shulkin suggested so in an interview with them, uh, said that she, meaning Simpson, showed Secretary Shulkin evidence that an outside party was sending email on her behalf. Okay, that's interesting. And with the way that uh, you know computer science works and computer forensics works, they should be able to figure out if that's the case or not. I mean, there, there are many ways that, that could happen. Someone hacking you doesn't need to be uh, 50 computer experts sitting in a dark dungeon in North Korea, you know, trying to figure out how to get into your email account. could be as simple as, you know, you stayed logged on one day and someone that doesn't like you kept that information. I can tell you we've all done it. Not all of us, but I've certainly done it where someone leaves like their Facebook thing open and you write a post on their Facebook page about how wonderful you are and put it up there. Then maybe a little thing about and next time I'll log out of Facebook. That's kind of funny, although some people would consider it an invasion of privacy, I suppose. Here's the thing. When you leave your email open and if you're in a political environment that's become as politically charged as apparently the VA has where Shulkin is now saying there are people working deliberately to undermine him. Let's say you walk away from your desk. Someone knows you're going to be in a meeting for a half hour. They could come in. They could get your information, your passwords. You can do all that stuff. You absolutely can. And, and we can't know whether that happened until we see the evidence and experts, even more than that, see the evidence. I mean, you could show me what you say is evidence of someone hacking into an email account, and I could look at it and say, I don't know what this means. Is, it, is, this, is this AOL? Is this Yahoo? Is this Prodigy Online? I, it, I'm not an expert. Let's let the experts take a look at it and get that out there. Because when you throw out the conspiracy theory thing, here's what my response has been to that. Okay, that's possible. However, let me ask you this. Who hacked Secretary Shulkin and made him tell the VSOs that he paid for the travel that he didn't pay for? Who hacked Secretary Shulkin and made him tell the Washington Post that he paid for the Wimbledon tickets when it's since been found out that neither of those are true? So, it, you know, it, what is the conspiracy here? The conspiracy is someone that's trying to make it look even worse. Okay, that could certainly be true. But even if this conspiracy is true, here's what I would say about that. The person behind the conspiracy should absolutely be punished for that if you're able to find it. If someone hacked in and someone got uh, uh, Miss Simpson's email and, and was able to send things out through it, then that is something that we are going to have to deal with with that person. That doesn't change the fact that Secretary Shulkin lied to the national media and lied to the VSOs, more importantly. And that's, to me, more important, Jake. I don't know about you, but when someone's lying to the VSOs and veteran service organizations about something, that bugs me more than someone lying to the press about it. Well, yeah, because these are the people that are directly representing the veteran community. And mm -hmm. so this that's who he's supposed to be working for as secretary of the VA. Right. He's supposed to be looking out for veterans. So to directly lie to the groups that are the most direct communication veterans have, right. that's bad. Here's the thing. 
None of those VSOs that I'm aware of, and I've talked to some people on some channels about it, and we talked to Joe Chanelli yesterday, and we may mention it to uh, to Joe Davis from the VFW today. None of the VSOs seem to have lost faith in Shulkin, but a lot of people looking at it from the outside have because, dude, he lied to you. And there are those who are saying, listen, the VSOs don't want the VA to be privatized, and if Shulkin is removed... This can be used as an example of why it should be privatized, why having government employees who have all these regulations on them is not okay, you know? It's bad timing, certainly, for people who don't want the VA privatized. I can see how this could be leveraged in there. Part of this uh, this alleged conspiracy theory, as I understand it, as, uh, as I've talked to people about it, is that the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Concerned Veterans of America, which is a uh, very conservative veterans group, uh, which is funded in part by the uh, the Koch brothers, uh, that they want the VA privatized and they don't like uh, the way things are moving at the VA. And they have influence uh, all the way up to uh, the government. They have influence in, uh, uh, of course, the VA itself, uh, because there are people uh, working there who believe that as well. There are people working in that company who believe or working in that company, working in that organization who believe that it should be privatized, that it would work better that way, you know? Yeah. And I'm uh, on my Twitter account right now. I saw a tweet from our own Jonathan Copanger. He's quoting Representative Tim Waltz talking to Secretary Shulkin saying, I think it's becoming more and more difficult, Mr. Secretary, for you to say I'm not supporting privatization. Yeah. Which is very interesting because he's gone on record as saying, no, I'm not for privatizing, but I am for the Choice Act and such things. Right. So for him to be, for the appearance to be coming forward that he's moving closer towards privatization is, uh, well, you can't really say it's a bad or a good thing. Uh, saying it's a bad or a good thing depends on what your stance is on private privatizing the VA. I think that most people and and the VSOs that we talked to, and we talked to many of the major ones every week. I mean, at this point, we've got uh, IAVA, American Legion, AMVETS, and VFW. That's four of the big six right there uh, coming on each day to talk to us uh, about these things. Uh, they are seem to all be in agreement that some level of privatization needs to happen. Maybe not privatization, but access to private care. Right. The, I get the, the issue that the pro-privatization people bring up, and listen, I understand both sides of this. I understand the people that want it to stay within the government because then it allows for government oversight, like in this case where you have the inspector general. Uh, the privatized version uh, would allow for less of that. It would be more difficult to control exactly what's going on over there. But at the same time, in if it's privatized, there are more ways, if they're not under the restrictions of being part of the federal government, more ways for them to raise funds. There are more ways for them to do a lot of different things. Uh, it's it's a difficult question. And people, I think there are valid opinions on both sides. Yeah, The VSOs seem to think the answer lies in the middle. And I would say that I probably agree with them. I think the VA uh, aspects of it, if not the whole thing, need to remain part of the federal government uh, and under the federal government's watch. But there are also aspects of it where we kind of, I think we kind of need the, we kind of need the, uh, uh, the outside help. Yeah. The VA doesn't have everything that it needs. And because of that, you know, we're going to have to keep a very close eye on this. Again, this issue with Secretary Shulkin, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing what you guys are saying about a conspiracy theory. I'm seeing that someone may have hacked his email. I get that. I 100% absolutely understand that. But the 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 hacking, if it did happen, and I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say it absolutely did. Hey, let's say someone hacked into Miss Vivica Simpson's email account and sent out this information. 
false information saying, oh, let's add to the calendar retroactively that he was there for an event that his wife needed to be there for. Then we can validate uh, the $4,000 that she flew on. What difference does that make in the actual two issues? That's, that's a secondary issue. That could be a felony. Yes. Understood. If she was doing that and trying to defraud the government in that way, that could be a felony. So, you know, that's not good, obviously. However, even if the hacking is proven to be true, that someone got into her email, sent those that email or those emails, I don't know if it's more than one, I've only heard about one. If someone did that, it still doesn't change the fact that Mrs. Shulkin flew improperly on the government's dime. You can pay it back six months later. That doesn't matter. Dude, I saw people get kicked out of the military because they were using their Govy credit card to fill up their own car with gas, and they were doing actual official work, but those cards were not allowed to be used for that on the government vehicles. Now, part of the problem, again, is when you try to falsify that. If you tell someone flat out, okay, then we can work with that. If you lie about it and you say, no, 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 this gas that I got, it went into the government vehicle. But then the person who runs the government vehicles goes out and checks and goes, huh, well, this car's tank is not full and this is a full tank. Like, what, what's going on here exactly? It, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these things where we've had the Whistleblower uh, Protection Act and the, uh, the fraud, waste, and abuse efforts for the VA to take care of them come up in just the last year, basically where they had put into place programs where they could remove VA workers because it had been so difficult. And because you have people like the former director of the VA medical center in DC, who was shown to not be doing a good job, was fired and then was rehired, basically brought back on because of union rules. He couldn't be fired. There was a lawsuit judge put him back into place. When they finally got these measures put into place, the Whistleblower Protection Act and all, and the VA, uh, the accountability um, protocols, he was finally removed from office. You'd have a hard time, I think, telling me why Secretary Shulkin, in this case, sh- why, why he shouldn't face the same music, essentially. Because, listen, it's only $4,000. I understand that. But there was dishonesty, too, and that's just for the travel. We're not even talking about the Wimbledon tickets, which are a few thousand dollars each, perhaps more, depending on where you sat. The issue is he did do this. He knew he wasn't supposed to, but he did it. And it was $4,000 at least. I, I, I don't know how much the secretary of the VA makes. I'm going to guess it's quite a bit. I'm going to guess also that as a doctor, and I believe as, uh, as Joe Schinelli told us yesterday, uh, Dr. Shulkin's spouse is also a doctor. They could cover that themselves. They could cover that for grant. They decided not to. And then they weren't honest about it with the VSOs first. And then they weren't honest about those Wimbledon tickets with the Washington Post. Neither one of those points of dishonesty is a good thing. Find somebody to, to come in here and argue with me that it's a good thing that they, they lied about that. You can't. The hacking issue may be valid. The hacking issue is also separate. That's the point that I'm getting to here. Even if he was hacked, Jake, even if someone got into Vivica Simpson's email and sent out a false email to make it look like she was committing possibly criminal behavior, even if all of that is absolutely 100% true and is eventually proven, doesn't change the fact that he flew, had his wife fly on the government dime improperly, 
that he took a gift of Wimbledon tickets that was many, many times more than the allowed uh, type of gift that you're allowed to take when on official business. Um, it, it doesn't change any of it. So the hacking thing and the conspiracy, okay, I get that. I get that. And that may be secondary and it may be true. It may be, doesn't change the original stuff. And that original stuff, when I look at it objectively, I think that that, that is grounds for calling for him to step down. And we've had people do it. Representative Kaufman from Colorado, he's called for Shulkin to step down. Well, yeah, but I think that right now the issue is if he stepped down, the guy who would take over, they tried to fire like twice. Yeah. So I think they're, they're right now they're sort of, it's the lesser of two evils. I don't think they've tried to fire him. I think that, see, this is the other issue that with, with this administration, the VA has kind of been uh, the shining light. That's yeah. the most upsetting part about this is that Shulkin has been held up as a guy who's doing things the right way and his, his department is rising above the political fray. They're getting bipartisan support in many cases from both sides. Uh, there have been issues, you know, there have been issues where, you know, Senator McCain saying, hey, VA, we need to have your plan to address these things. We need to have them. Uh, same thing that he did with uh, General Mattis and the uh, Department of Defense. I mean, there are. There are questions, and our, our own Jonathan Kopanger rated uh, Secretary Shulkin's first year as Secretary of the VA an F. I thought that was harsh, personally, but yeah, I bit. understood where he was coming from, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and, and until we get there, uh, you know, the grades are going to be low. So we've got, uh, we've got a lot going on, man. We've got a lot going on with the VA and a lot going on in the veteran community, and it's, it's as I said, sad. This was... Uh, this was not the best time for something like this to happen with the VA because there is this argument over it. So I think the conspiracy theory angle that's being peddled by some, where that kind of seems possible is that there are people who are looking to get the VA privatized. They see Shulkin, particularly with uh, the media and veterans in general, kind of liking him. I mean, I like him. I've, I've only met him once, but... Uh, not on a personal level. I don't know the guy personally, really. He seemed nice enough, but uh, the job he's been doing, I think he's been doing a pretty good job, and I think he's been generally honest. I have had some questions. I've wondered, uh, as someone who uh, who follows the medical marijuana issue purely from a, uh, a bystander's viewpoint, I don't smoke weed. I don't think I need to for any medical reasons. I do wonder why uh, he said that he was open to testing on it months ago and then more recently said, hmm, no, we don't need to do that. So that was uh, the one thing previous to this that I had questions about. But again, getting back to this, that conspiracy theory and people wanting to get Shulkin out of the way as uh, having an easier road to privatize the VA. I get that. I get that. But if that is the case, you know what? He made it easier for them to get on that road because he had his wife fly improperly. He admitted that to the VSOs. Joe Chanelli told us yesterday that he came out and said, hey, I've, I've already paid back the government. Well, that's great. Secretary, we're glad that you paid back the government that $4,000. That's extremely important. But if you were willing to, to uh, let's say, bend the truth, let's be nice about it, if not saying flat-out lie, if you were willing to bend the truth to the national media, one of the, one of the nation's foremost newspapers, and the nation's foremost veteran service organizations, over $4,000 and a couple of tennis tickets, what's the baseline for what else? I mean, if, that, if that's minor stuff, and admittedly it is minor stuff, if you're willing to lie about the little stuff, that's going to make people question whether you're willing to lie about the big stuff. That's how I look at this. That's how, uh, you know, oftentimes when you find out that someone's being untruthful to you and it's over something minor, you see that as the tip of the iceberg. 
And we all know icebergs are bigger under the surface. The stuff that you can't see. Ask the Titanic about that, right? Ask Leonardo DiCaprio. He was on the Titanic, right? Guy's like 130 years old. I don't know. I think movies are reality sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with this issue with Secretary Shulkin. We're going to keep an eye on it at ConnectingVets.com. And of course, if you want to find out more about what we're doing, you should visit ConnectingVets.com and follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We've got veterans coming in here every day. And I want to let you know, next week, I won't be here. I'm going to be filling in for our Chaz Henry doing another project that we do that's on CBS News radio stations all across the country called CBS Eye on Veterans. Jake Hughes will be hosting the ConnectingVets.com morning briefing all next week. He's already got some fantastic guests lined up for that, so you won't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss the rest of today's show. No, 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 you do not. Coming up in our next segment, the VFW and the National Park Service, they are both in the house. Joe Davis is here, as he is many Fridays. And Mike Litterst, Chief of Communications from the National Park Service, National Mall and Memorial Parks. We're going to talk about filming at those places. And we're also going to talk about the cremains issue that we talked about a few weeks ago. So we've got a whole bunch of good content coming your way today and every day, because that's what we do on the morning briefing. And it's what we do on connectingvets.com. All right. Well, you're going to want to stick around. As I said, Joe and Mike are already here, already raring to go and come in the studio and GW vets representatives from that fantastic organization from George Washington University. They are coming up in just a little bit. Back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. You're listening to the morning briefing. Will do. It's Friday, February 16th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and connectingvets.com. Well, that's your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience and community, giving you the latest news, the latest information, the latest benefits that are out there for you. We got a big story we're working on with uh, some information on vocational rehab benefits and people who apparently aren't getting paid those vocational rehab benefits, as well as more on the continuing scandal surrounding Secretary Shulkin, which we've already talked about at length in the first segment today he's claiming conspiracy theory somebody hacked his email even if they did as i've pointed out today that doesn't change the fact that he lied about the four thousand dollar flight for his wife or the wimbledon tickets that were a gift uh it's it's not good and it comes at a bad time for those who are not wanting the va to be privatized but you'll be able to follow continuing coverage of that as well as opinion on that and so much more over at connectingvets.com and following us on social media is the best way to be kept abreast of everything on the site at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube you know i just mentioned vocational rehab earlier in the show i mentioned that my alma mater hofstra university had reached out to write a little profile on me about doing this show the college experience for me was a very positive one after i got out of school and we hope that it's a positive one for every veteran who decides to go that route 
There are many, many amazing schools out there doing great things for veterans and many great veteran organizations within those school communities doing even more amazing things for veterans. And I'm happy to say we are joined by representatives from one of those. Ryan Welch is an undergraduate student studying mechanical engineering. He's also an intern for the Department of the Navy. He served 10 years in the Air Force. There's an election coming this week, and I hear that Ryan is expected to be chosen as the next president of GW Vets from George Washington University. He has plans to get the veteran community more engaged and maybe a great resource for future insight as to what is happening in the student veteran community and the impacts they can have in society. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. We also have Nicole Serafino. Now, Nicole, she served in the Marine Corps, 8th Communications Battalion to be specific, Nicole is currently studying exercise science with a concentration in pre-physical therapy at Milken School of Public Health at GW, a Marine who's into physical fitness. Color me shocked. I'm a sailor who's into, uh, well, not physical fitness, as you guys can probably tell. She's the secretary of GW Vets, responsible for all external and internal communication for the organization, tracking and maintenance of membership records, and recording minutes for general body and executive board meetings. She's going to talk to us about connecting and partnering with the university. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Nicole. How are you doing this morning? I should probably turn on your microphone before I ask you questions. It's been a long morning already. So you're doing well is what you said for people that missed that you got cut off. So uh, let's start with you, Nicole. As I mentioned, Marine Corps veteran. Tell us just a little bit more about your service, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did for the United States Marine Corps. Yes. Yeah, so I am actually one of four members in my family that's in the Marine Corps. My father's a Marine, my mother's a Marine, my sister's a Marine, I'm a Marine, and my little brother straight off and joined the Army. <laughs> so uh, That was Jake Hughes in the background. Everybody knew, everybody heard that and knew exactly who it was. I should play his theme song again. <laughs> Rebecca Black's Friday, us, oh, favorite song. He loves it more than anything. So this is like a big family deal for you, except that weirdo brother that decided he was going to go into the Army. I mean, come on, if, if you're not going to the Marine Corps, at least go into the Navy, right? Stick with the sea services. But So you joined, you served 8th Communications Battalion, and, and what exactly was your job while you were in? So I was a field radio operator at 8th, 8th Com Battalion, and we just we worked with radio gear. Um, I also was stationed at Seabirth in Indian Head, Maryland. It's a oh. chemical biological incident response force. And there we did a lot of training with the Fire Department of New York, and uh, we pretty much we pretty much trained and <laughs> trained to kind of resp to res response to for respond, CBR stuff. Yeah, exactly to respond to any natural disaster that might occur. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So showing that the military has an impact on uh, the civilian world. And then when did you get out? So I got out in 2000. 15, at the end of 2015, and immediately uh, getting out, I went to Northern Virginia Community College initially, and then I transferred over to the George Washington University. And that's that's often a track that a lot of people in the military take. For one, I was a horrible high school student, graduated in summer school. That's how bad I was. Uh, I didn't know if school was for me, so I took some classes at a community college to see if I could get back into it. Turned out I was a much better student in my 30s than I was in my teens, go figure, uh, and then ended up at a four-year university. Uh, oftentimes, a good way to go about figuring out whether the education thing is for you or not before you end up going to a, a hardcore place like GWU, which is where Ryan Welch is also 
studying right now as an undergraduate, a future president of GW Vets, as I understand. Ryan served in the Air Force aircraft mechanic, as I understand it. So, again, tell us just a little bit about your service and your time as you were aiming high for the United States Air Force. All right. Well, I yeah, joined the Air Force in 2005 and uh, ended up spending 10 years. Got out in 2015 and uh, was a hydraulic mechanic, worked on C5, C17s. Anybody who uh, knows a C5 has a, a deep love-hate relationship with it, <laughs> <laughs> as it often uh, breaks down. But uh, I hope, hope people in Dover aren't listening right now. Hey, if they are, what are they going to do to you? You're not in the Air Force anymore. Right, right. There you go. An amazing aircraft. I remember the first time I saw one take off in Iceland, it almost looked like the world was the one moving and the aircraft was just staying still, like the world had dropped down. It doesn't yeah. look like it should be able to fly, but thanks to people like you working on uh, getting that thing up and running, they are able to get up there and move a lot of gear from place to place. Right, 700 plus thousand pounds, mm. you know, max takeoff weight. And that's, so that's pretty impressive. And uh, now studying uh, engineering at GW, I get to really appreciate uh, what those guys did in, uh, in, in the 1960s developing that thing yeah. that served, you know, from Vietnam onward. It's amazing how many, particularly in aircraft, I think, when we look at those. There have been uh, advances, of course, in aircraft, but some of those old fellas, like the B-52, the C-5, those have been around the C-130. They've been around for a very long time and are still very effective. Some of them, I think, date back almost to that time period. They've been around that long, not only having been designed back then. So we now know a little bit about your backgrounds, Ryan and Nicole. And of course, you're both members of GW Vets. And Ryan, as the uh, soon-to-be incoming president, uh, hopefully there's an election taking place this week, but the expectation, as I'm informed, is that you will most likely be elected there, right? right? What can you tell me about GW Vets? Tell me about the organization overall, what the goals and aims of GW Vets are. Well, GW Veterans, I'll tell you about my experience with them and why I decided to become president and put in a candidacy uh, you know, transition is a very, can be very difficult and it's different for everybody when you get out. And uh, so GW Veterans is a great way for veterans to connect to, with others in the community and a great way to connect the student body. And uh, we have Valor Student Services as well uh, to help out with uh, VA benefits and navigating that and also with financial aid. And uh, just all around, it started out with it just being a good place to uh, hang out and, and meet people that are in the same situation with me and uh, that's kind of what it's all about is uh keeping the community together and um seeing how we can improve and improve each other and help help each other have a leg up and keep moving right i i just finished a couple years ago my degree uh, up at hofstra and uh, you know there was there was a veteran community there a smaller one it's not a huge school it's like ten thousand people or something like that uh, i knew some other veterans and my buddy john from the vfw post there's a third battalion ranger that was up there and some other people that i came across but there were certain issues that that all of us kind of faced. Part of it being, as a student, even if you just did four years in the military and you got out and went straight into college, you're a little bit older than your uh, your counterparts. You also have some life experience that they may never have uh, in the rest of their lives. What are some of the big issues that you see veterans facing at GW specifically, and perhaps overall in just the overall veteran student veteran community as as it grows nationwide? Well, actually, I was. Uh since I knew this this conversation was going to come up, I was thinking about it uh, this past week, and I'm predictable. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, what I thought about was, you know how 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 has it affected me? And what I think is that you know you come out of the military and you have all that experience and you want to share that experience, but it matters a lot. But then then again, it doesn't because you're also starting back from the beginning. So it, right. personally, you really have to uh, 
uh, learn how to accept where you're starting at and, uh, you know, not worry about, I guess, confirming your place, you know, because in the military, we all have a place and and, uh, we have our support network and everything. And you got to kind of find, you know, how to how to navigate stuff and just how to how to be. And so, yeah, that's and that's one of the big problems that I know I faced was after 13 years in the Navy and doing everything a very specific way, rising to, to E6 where I'm running shops and things like that. And then all of a sudden I'm a freshman in college and I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I, I felt like I was in boot camp again, you know, where I'm like, I got to do what? Stencil my name onto what? Do well, what are you talking about? What is yeah. all this? It, the good thing is a good school in particular and the good organizations that are there can certainly help veterans. And that's what GW Vets is all about. We're speaking with Ryan Welch and Nicole Serafino from GW Vets. Nicole, you're the secretary of the organization. A big part of your job is dealing with the school. Now, George Washington University, one would think, very patriotic place. It's got the first president's name right in there. Uh, you would think that everything goes pretty well as far as dealing with the school. Although there are those out there who would expect you to have numerous problems because they look in the news and they see, you know, high school teacher in California talking about how Marines are all morons. And you've got uh, professors uh, marching against military being allowed on campus and stuff like that. How has George Washington University been as it comes to relating to the veteran community in general and GW vets specifically? So GW, the university as a whole has actually been very supportive of GW veterans. Uh, they, they gave, they don't, they gave us a townhouse. So that's pretty much our, uh, we call it the MCC. And that's pretty much where student veterans, uh, dependents, spouses, anyone who wants to be involved with the veteran community, they can go, go to most of our veterans aren't your average student. They don't live in the dorms. So in between classes, they have nowhere to, stop shop so yeah. pretty much the the lounge provides a space for them to kind of relax in between in, in between classes have a private study space that way they're not fighting in the in the libraries with the rest of the student population <laughs> and they're gonna win those fights most of the time particularly <laughs> a marine like nicole that, that's not gonna be much of a fight but you know, I, I know what you're saying uh, yes and <laughs> and honestly um to tag along with ryan uh Without having that sense of belonging at GW, without having um, fellow veterans to talk to, to just study with, because let's face it, we all have, we definitely have a different way of learning at times because it it has been for most of us at a minimum four years um, from returning to to school. So we definitely help each other out in that aspect as well. And that's good to hear. Again, I think there are a lot of veterans, um, and, and a lot of them are the ones who decided not to, to take advantage of the GI Bill uh, by going to a university, maybe going through a trade school, or maybe they had a job lined up when they got out, who think of institutions of higher learning as this kind of anti-military, like you're, you're not going to tell anybody you're a veteran, that kind of thing. We had a gentleman from the American Legion in here who went to Berkeley, proud veteran who went to Berkeley, and I'm like, oh man, how was that for you? And he was like, it was great. Nobody, nobody bothered me. I mean, yeah, there were protests going on, but... Most people are like, oh, cool, you're a veteran, the end, you know, and that's that's what most of us are looking for there, right? Um, when it comes to GW and the veteran experience, and it sounds like a fantastic thing. You guys have a townhouse that the university gave to you. They were just starting to try and get a veterans organization started at my school when I went up there. 
it sounds like you guys have a good organization there, GW Vets, of course, a good infrastructure that you guys have built, a townhouse, you have a good working relationship with the school. Do you see GW Vets as something that can be kind of a blueprint for other schools that have maybe a significant veteran population, but don't have them convening in any sort of meaningful way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think hopefully this will be this will be a blueprint for other universities to kind of set that up because as Nicole mentioned about the MCC, you know, that is the the place where I'm always studying, where I always hang out at. And I think it's great. It's we're also located next to the Naval ROTC building. And so we get to actually communicate a lot with the ROTC unit Mm -hmm. and the student population in general, which I'm really close to the ROTC students in my classes and also just the general population of students that are in my classes. And I think that, you know, that's really good to have too, because you, you bring, you bring that camaraderie and that teamwork to your classes with them and, and being able to talk with them a lot, uh, you, you get to show them that experience and kind of yeah. guide them in a way. And Nicole, I would say that having Navy ROTC there is beneficial for people like Ryan so that those future sailors and Marines can rub some of the Air Force off of him, you know, just by hanging around him, right? We have, we have future Marines there as well. Oh, yeah, that's why I said Navy and Marines. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on. It's like the Naval Academy. We were down with the Naval Academy football team, and I was talking to the coaching staff. Like 70% of the football team are going to be Marines. <laughs> they may have Navy on their uniform, but they're going into the Marine Corps. So it's an interesting <laughs> thing. Of course, we kid. We kid because we love, and we love people doing great work, like Ryan Welch, who is uh, expected to be elected president of GW Vets in the coming week, Nicole Serafino, who is currently the secretary of GW Vets. And Nicole, I want to talk to you about something that I received a memo from a, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours. I know this guy, uh, a fellow Marine of yours, H.W. Floyd. He's been on the show before. He's studying at GW, involved with GW Vets. Uh, I got some information from him that there may be a pretty big announcement coming from you guys as far as the pursuance of something that would help with health care for veterans as they're in college. It's called SHIP. What can you tell me about SHIP? Where did this come from? What is it? And, and what are you guys doing with it? Yes, well, HW originally approached me with this this idea, and the first thing that came to my mind was, this is brilliant. Mm. I don't know why anyone else hasn't thought of this yet or is doing this. So pretty much this is a, a student veteran healthcare initiative. This initiative is um, attempting to solve, to solve one of the biggest issues in our community, receiving timely health care. Additionally, it is attempting to change the narrative of lobbying the federal government to intervene and encourage local communities by contributing uh, substantial results at a quicker pace. Uh, so pretty much GW offers the student health care insurance plan, which is also known as SHIP. Uh, we want the university to uh, help include that into students uh, when they get accepted into a GW. We want right. veterans with a dis- disabled veterans with a connected disability rating right. to possibly receive additional health care through the university. This is also, um, by taking the lead on this, uh, this also means that the VA is possibly going to be involved um, with, this, with this success. Uh, the university could also be a front line of research and de- development dollars as well as a wide support in very influential departments of the executive branch. 
And it really makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels when I hear you talk about that, because this is something where uh, the disabled veteran students, those with a service-connected disability, uh, you know, not, not somebody who crashed their motorcycle six months after they got out. These are people who have a disability that came while they were serving. Uh, being able to provide them with a little bit of extra care or being able to provide them with uh, extremely low-cost care, something that's beneficial, which could, one, attract veterans to GW, if I'm understanding it properly. Two, it looks good for GW. I mean, you can put out a thing like, hey, we're giving veterans health care on this issue. Three, just because of the location of GW being in our nation's capital and having access to so many organizations like the VA being essentially, in essence, right across the street. I mean, not literally, but figuratively. Yeah, it, I mean, a block <laughs> away. There you go. So almost across the street. Like, we can hit it with a baseball from, from the GW campus. Um, it, it seems to me, Ryan, like uh, it should be a no-brainer for GW to want to at least work on this and look at the feasibility of it. The memo that you guys put out seems to be uh, very well put together, have an idea of, of you know why this would be great, mm-hmm. that it would be large victory, minimal effort, very low cost. Those are three underlying terms I saw in the memo when I got it. So how do you think things are going to move on this, or have they started to move on this yet? Well, I don't know too much of the details about it. It sounds like I have uh, my first order of business already. <laughs> but I, I do think it is a it is a good idea for the university to take on and it really help out disabled veterans and kind of alleviate that burden of having to go to the VA. And I personally, I go out to the VA in Martinsburg, West Virginia, right. uh, just because, you know, the D.C. traffic to get to Arlington in the morning from Arlington to the VA, you know, would be the same. Better off going to West Virginia. I mean, that that happens. And and, and my experience with the VA in West Virginia has been absolutely positive. Uh, They've been really great uh, for all the services that they give me. But I think this would be good, you know, for people to be able to say they live in the in the dorms or or like me out in Arlington and just they need to go get some quick care and to be able to go to the university. Right. For something, you know, you know, minor or it could be major, too. But willing to work and like see what happens and try to get something uh, for student veterans. Right. And, and of course, you know, we're speaking with Nicole Serafino and Ryan Welch from GW Vets about this uh, SHIP, Student Veteran Healthcare Initiative. So SHIP is the student uh, health insurance, basically, that, that students at GW are eligible for. We had a similar program at my school. I never had to use it because, again, I have free VA care, and then I was on my wife's insurance and stuff like that. Uh, but the students there did have it at a, at a fairly low cost. Again, same question to you, Nicole. The response from the school. Has there been a response from the school yet? I mean, how are they looking at it? So right now we're in our initial uh, stages of this initiative. So we're setting up meetings. We're talking to uh, we're talking to different individuals that can help push forward this uh, this action. Everyone that we have talked with already, though, they seem that they seem to think this is a very positive idea, and if done correctly. Um, it's something that can impact very, mm. very many student veterans, as well as encourage veterans to go get a disability rating from the VA. There's many student veterans that have never been to the VA, right. so their medical records have never been looked at, so they don't even know if they need treatment or if they need help with something. Again, this is something when we're talking about GW Vets as a possible blueprint for organizations uh, at schools where they don't have that infrastructure for veterans. This could certainly be one and and be a game changer on the national level because there are veterans working in all sorts of industries, but the the 
number of veterans that are in colleges right now on the GI Bill, that number is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There are going to be more and more veterans doing it. This is something that could help them, could help alleviate pressure from the VA, could be beneficial for the schools and partnerships with the VA and things like that. I mean, this is this is huge if it ends up working out the way that you guys want it to, don't you think? Absolutely. This is also something we want to partner up with other organizations, other veteran organizations throughout the D.C. community. AMVETS, for example, um, they they can help contribute a lot to helping veterans with their disability claims. So we're hoping to uh, have a lot of interaction throughout the community, not mm-hmm. only just with the veterans, but with the community as a whole. Right. And we're speaking with Nicole Serafino and Ryan Welch. They are from GW Vets at George Washington University. Nicole is the secretary of the organization, deals with connecting and partnering with the university and external communications. Ryan Welch is expected to be elected as the new president of GW Vets in the coming week. You know, let's look at it in the grand scheme of things. The overall, Ryan, of your GW experience as a veteran, how would you rate it? And would it be a place that you would recommend other veterans uh, go to at this point? And do you think it'll continue to get better for veterans moving forward thanks to groups like GW Vets? I would rate, on a scale from 1 to 10, I would rate my GW experience you know, up there 8, 9, 10. It has been an absolute positive experience for me. Uh, great, great classes, Great professors, the student body right. is, is is wonderful. I haven't had any issues uh, with that, and and haven't had any issues with any professors or trying to get anything done. Uh, usually, you know, you got to ping somebody every now and then to follow up, but it, it has been absolutely great. And get, being able to have the MCC when I first arrived at GW, we didn't have the MCC. We had an office that was about as big as this studio, which is not all that big. Not all that twenty big. by and twenty for, or so for a veteran yeah. population of a couple thousand. I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot of veterans that go to GW. And so that townhouse space uh, for the MCC is absolutely essential. And we were able to get that and secure that. And there's actually a lot of veterans that still don't even check out the MCC, but maybe it's because right. they, they kind of, you know, some people don't want that connection. They left the military, which is fine, but uh, it, it's great to, to have that. that. You know, yeah, I, it's, it's great to have that support. One of the very few regrets I have from my time at Hofstra, maybe the only one along with not taking more semesters of Swahili, because I really enjoyed that class. <laughs> is that uh, when they tried to start up that veterans organization that I mentioned earlier towards uh, the end of my time there, I didn't go to any of those meetings. I mean, I had a family. I gave a bunch yeah. of excuses. But really, I think it would have been beneficial, uh, not as much for me, but hopefully I would have been able to give some information to them as someone who was getting ready to graduate. So, uh, you know, Nicole, if people are interested in getting involved with GW Vets, either as George Washington University students or members of veteran service organizations or other groups that think they might be able to help you out, where can they go to find out more about the GW Vets organization. Yes, well, we have every social media platform that you can think of. So you can always go to GW Vets you guys are on Facebook. MySpace? Well, I don't know about MySpace. <laughs> hey, I thought of it. GeoCities, you're on there too. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. But uh, GW GW Vets Facebook page. Um, we have an Instagram GW Vets Instagram. We have our website gwveterans.com dot uh, edu actually, and then we also have a twitter account as well yep so, and i tweeted at you guys this morning we, saying you were going to yes. be on the show i don't know about a tinder though did you say no tinder tinder. i didn't even know what that was when all the kids at school were talking about it because again the grizzled old veteran in my 30s but there are some great veterans 
young and old doing great things at George Washington University, including Ryan Welch and Nicole Serafino. We want to thank them so much for joining us in the studio today. Also, our thanks to Mike from the National Park Service at the National Mall. Again, NPS. Go check out their website, nps.gov. And of course, Joe Davis, vfw.org. Morning briefing. See you next week with Jake. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 